Welcome to the Mentis Omnia podcast. This is Kelly Hudson and Thomas Taylor. Lights, camera, action. Good evening, Tom. What up, Kelly? We've got a special guest on this evening. Um, I think it's been a long time in the works here, and uh, I think we're about to have a uh, you know breakthrough with uh, bringing on some more guests and uh, letting them uh, talk their story. And uh, I hope this uh, one's uh, going to be a lot of insight for those looking for these tools and, and looking for uh, a woman's perspective and a mother, someone to come on and, and speak her story and... Uh, you know, let's let her uh, introduce herself and kind of get this thing going. Hello, Mentis Omnia community. No. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Whitney Taylor. I am Thomas's wife, um, and I'm super excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, it's pretty cool to have you on, man. I know. it's It's been, you know, talked about for so long that, like, the nerves are completely gone away now. Well, that and you've been, like, like part of this process the entire time and you know kind of helping me and helping kelly get through you know and figuring out how we want to go about doing now you're now just you, trying to make my head big now you're the subject matter expert <laughs> <laughs> just giving us feedback no and pressure giving us insight and i think just helping us along the way too with kind of you know having that third perspective and having that voice as someone that's you know not in our head but you know i think a woman has a different perspective on things can give us more insight and you know i think we we as men get in our head and our ego and we need to listen sometimes and we don't what is that you're gonna gonna butcher it when you try to quote (laughs) it really what is the saying there's there's an even stronger woman behind you know just making sure that we all stay on the course now um i do think that the woman perspective is a totally different thing because as women by nature we tend to kind of feed off of emotion and energy and- all right so let's go in uh timeline wit and um kind of go into your childhood and uh you know so, uh, talk about your story and and let's hear what you from your perspective on things and and then we'll get back into uh We'll probably end with uh, your guys' son and, and the postpartum, and we'll wrap out with that. Okay. Um, well, I was born in a, a very small town in South Bend, Indiana. I'm pretty sure none of you have heard of it because it's basically not even on the map. It's right on the line of uh, Niles, Michigan. Um, I was there until I believe I was about two years old um two or three years old and uh my because it's such a small town um a lot of the you know things to do around there were getting into trouble and that's the one thing that my dad really liked to do was get in trouble (laughs) um so we had to kind of pick up and um move from there my uncle lived out in Clarksville Tennessee and uh so Luckily, we had an opportunity um, at a better life there. So we packed up me and my older brother and my older sister. And, uh, oh, um, so anyway, so we packed up, went to Tennessee, me and my older brother, my older sister, my mom and dad, and we moved to uh, Clarksville, Tennessee. It's uh, about 45 minutes out from Nashville. 
uh, to live on a 40 acre farm with uh, my uncle Chuck, my aunt Reba and uh, all my cousins. And uh, that's pretty much where we really started out life. Um, my mom and dad were hard workers by trait. Um, you know, my mom and dad had to grow up really, really fast when they were young. And there wasn't a time that went by that they weren't working between one and three jobs. My mom actually landed a really good job right outside of Dixon, uh, Dixon County uh, as the manager of the warehouse at Walmart uh, or the Walmart warehouse, the distribution center. And uh, we were able to, you know, get a really good start there. And um, unfortunately, throughout our journey um, in Tennessee, about, I would say about three or four years in, uh, we had went through a, a really hard time. My brother, uh, my brother and my brother-in-law were driving one night and there was a little bit of drinking involved and unfortunately it landed in a fatality to my brother and my brother-in-law ended up making it and uh that's pretty much where I would say the start to our hardcore spiritual journey before that we were involved in a, a, a southern baptist church and if anybody knows anything about a southern baptist church you're in it and you know, it's all about, you know, hardcore, um, Sundays, Mondays, Wednesdays, Saturdays, every single week, and then Thursday Bible studies. So, you know, we, we had our general routine, but when my brother passed, my mom, um, being that, you know, she just lost her first child and my dad, of course, um, they both went through a downward spiral and my mom's very first instinct was I need to be in the church at least seven days a week. I have a question before you continue. So, um, sure. Yep. How old were your parents at the time? Do you remember? Uh, well, my brother had just been born. Um, so I would say they were in their late thirties early. Yeah. Which brother are we talking about here? My older brother or, Oh, Levi, Levi was just born. Yeah. And how old were you? Um, uh, I was eight years old when my older brother passed away. And how old was how old was he at the time? My older brother was nineteen when he passed, oh. and uh, me and him were about ten years apart. And uh, my older sister and I were about nine years apart. So, you know, we were all very young, and you know, my sister had a little bit harder of a a time in that because she was pregnant. Uh, she was a young mom. She was 15 years old. She was 14 when she got pregnant, 15 when she gave birth. And unfortunately my brother-in-law who wasn't my brother-in-law at the time, he was just the baby daddy of my sister. Um, you know, he was going through all of the charges and stuff because it ended up being involuntary manslaughter. So not only did we lose a brother, I feel like in that moment, uh, we kind of gained a brother um through tragedy but being that it was in the situation that it was it was really hard on our family because you know how do you continue life and i feel like that's where my mom gripped so tightly to her relationship with god because she's like how do i get through this you know how do i love this person 
who's, you know, the father of my first grandchild, you know, and how do I continue on? And my dad had a little bit harder. It's, it's actually kind of, it's interesting to see the way that God works because exactly one week before my brother passed away, him and my dad both gave their lives to Christ. They both um, were saved and baptized on the same day. And then exactly one week later, that's my brother passed. And that was uh, really a trial and tribulation for my dad. And really um, probably one of the hardest things that he's gone through spiritually because how do you love someone who had just, you know, basically killed your child? And how do you love that grandchild? And how do you love just being in life after that? And um, my dad, aside from my mom who stayed in the church, my dad drank a lot more and he ended up getting into a really bad car accident following that and broke six of his uh ribs three in the front three in the back and had to wear a turtle suit um and it was just a really really nasty accident i remember having to clean his head because he had staples all throughout his head and we had to wash his hair and it was very traumatizing because it was just like one after the other and then following that um my uncle chuck who took us into the farm and, and gave us that opportunity um to live on on this beautiful property um who was also my very 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 best friend growing up um it's uncomfortable for me to say it now but also it's very um strong given that my dad's going through uh aa my dad was really bad off um in his beginning stages of life um through alcohol and that pretty much set the foundation of what my childhood would look like, not having a dad, being present. I had a dad, he was there, he was around, but presently um, having that father figure was kind of cut short for me. And um, my uncle Chuck was the only father figure, the only stable father figure that I had known and um right after my brother passed he had passed and then my cousin matt had passed right after that and it was just and this is all within six months boom 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 and um all in the midst of this my my mom and dad actually had gotten approved for their their uh first house so we were going on to much bigger opportunities at that time we were living in a basement house so we were getting to move on and then, you know, everything happened and we lived in such a small town that it was so hard for my mom and my dad to be able to move on. Cause it was always, you go to the market and I'd be like, Oh gosh, how are you guys doing? How's Ricky? Who's my brother-in-law? How, how's his trial going? How is him, you know, this, that, and the other. And it was just always a gnawing thing. So it's like, boom, trauma, 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 trauma. And it's like, we could never escape that topic so the only other logical option was we needed to move in the midst and of luckily, all that yeah. in the midst of all that mm -hmm. what about the child what what was do you oh, remember what you, what's going on with the, the grandchild oh yeah wesley um wesley had 
let's see he had just been born and my you know my sister's going through all of the stuff with the court and you know they had sentenced ricky uh to be in the um local jail he luckily you know my mom and dad had an option either to put him away for a long amount of time or to put him away for a short amount of time so they had the option and you know being that even though the situation and the circumstances my parents were very strong um through getting through that phase and um it's a much longer story within the story but um a long story short um, he was actually only um, required uh, to be in that jail for a year for manslaughter, but this was his sixth DUI. So he had to serve a lot more time afterwards on separate things. So that was, um, you know, kind of like an ongoing thing. But as far as Wesley, the my, my nephew, the first grandchild, um, he was, he was loved from the very beginning. I mean, from the time that he opened up his eyes, like, I mean, we were, I mean, we were all so young as it, as it was, even my sister, you know? So, but he was such a lucky kid because my sister raised, helped raise me, helped raise my little brother, you know, helped raise all the kids in the trailer park. So she was already, that motherly figure so he was he was loved from the beginning and then of course my mom my mom's the most loving giving person that I know in the world that would give anything just to spend five minutes with her grandkids or her kids so he was he was really set up so then what happened so Ricky goes to jail Wesley was born. Mm-hmm. Your mom is in the church constantly. <clears throat> yeah. Your dad's in a car accident. Mm-hmm. First house, then... in the middle of first house, buying the first house, right? Yep. So we get into um the house on the hill. That's what we called it. It was the house on this huge hill on 10 acres of land. It was the most beautiful house. Um, we lived there for about, I want to say about two years. Um, going through all of the motions um, after uh, my brother had died and, you know, trying to set into life what that looked like. And, you know, um, being that we still lived in a small community, that two years was just straight ter- turmoil um, so where did you, outside where did of you life. Move? Uh, actually, we only moved like maybe 15 or 20 minutes down the road from the farm that we lived on. Um, so you were still in... Uh... Mm-hmm. Tennessee yep we were still in Clarksville um we moved from the basement house to that house on the hill and we spent two years there and like I said the two years was it was really difficult for my parents to to get through and um within that two years kind of closing towards moving to Florida um I had an incident with uh, a neighbor um my very best friend Felicia had lived next door and her brother was mentally ill. And, um, we were hanging out one night over at my house. My mom and Felicia and Kyle's mom were sitting at the kitchen table and we we're all playing, you know, me and Felicia and Kyle are all playing in the room and I had got my first computer and it recorded and stuff. So we were making like funny, 
you know, recordings and whatnot. And Kyle had gotten really excited and um, he put a laundry basket over me and he tried to hold me down and basically take advantage of me. And Felicia didn't know what to do at the time because, you know, her brother had never done anything like that. How old was he? You know, he was 18, I believe at the time. And he was, you know, it was, it was, I, I didn't know. I mean, what, what do you do, you know? And so I was scared. So I'm screaming and screaming and screaming. And then right after, right after that, um, Kyle ended up having to go to an all boys, uh, school and he was sent away. And basically after that, that family stopped talking to us and that was just more drama. And then my mom just physically and mentally just could not handle it. So that's kind of where we progress on to, um, next phase of my life. My uncle Randy and my, at the time, aunt Carrie, had lived down here in Jacksonville, Florida, and my parents are trying to find any way out. You know, how do we start over? Um, just to get out and, of Tennessee, right? Yeah, just to get out of Tennessee, get out of that, you know, um, get out of that hardship that we were going through. And um, so my dad calls up my Uncle Randy and is like, you know, hey, man, you know, this is what's going on. We're, we're looking for a new start. Is there any way that you know anybody that can get us into a, a rental property? And luckily, the my uncle uh, Randy had lived on this cul-de-sac. And everybody in the cul-de-sac super tight. All the homeowners know each other. It's a really tight-knit community anyway. And the guy um, that had owned the house directly across from him on the main road um was putting his house up for rent he was literally about to put it on the market to rent out and so he was able to talk to the um homeowner uh for my mom and dad and was able to get us into you know this house now being that i'm a little kid all right all i ever knew joyous of my life was bethel baptist church in clarksville tennessee that was my whole joy. All my family was there. People who loved me was there. My friends that I had grown up with from Head Start all the way to third grade, you know, and in between baseball, all of that. That was that was my comfort, my home. Um, and I'll never forget, it was July 1st when my parents said that we're packing up and moving. What year was this? Do and you we, sorry. Do you remember what year this was? 2004 it's 2004 yeah and it was it was hard because my best friend you know um when I was just talking about with her brother uh me and Felicia were thick as thieves we we did everything together and I had to tell her that day because we were leaving a couple of days later I didn't know exactly what day we were going to be leaving all I knew was that I need to pack up my shit and pack it up fast um, so July 4th, 2004 is when we packed up, we rented our house out to the bus driver, my school bus driver and her three daughters and packed up the car. And, um, uh, my mom couldn't leave right away. 
because she had to, she was going to be transferring distribution centers. So she had to stay back for a little while. So it was me, my little brother and my dad, um, moving down to Florida, just the three of us. And that was fucking hard. You know, I hadn't really truly seen my mom in a couple of years after my brother died because she had been drowning herself in anything to numb the pain, whether that be being in church, being in work, you know, hanging out with their friends. Um, so not having like a mother figure, a comfort, and then being moved somewhere else, I was filled with hate. I mean, from the time that we left, I kicked and screamed all the way out to Chattanooga, all the way out to Georgia, calmed down as soon as we got into Macon, Macon County. And I was like, all right, well, we're almost there. So this is going to be my new life. So we got here to Jacksonville and got to see it. I did get my own bedroom. So that was a plus. Um, and the bedroom was so beautiful. I mean, we were living in a modular home back in Tennessee. So, I mean, it's a foundation house. It's like an actual house. So that was really exciting. We had a backyard with a fence. I mean, we lived on land, so we didn't ever have a, a fence, like a, you know, white picket fence life, you know? So that was exciting. And we were right down the street from my uncle Randy, my aunt Carrie and their daughters. My uncle Randy had six daughters. Um, so I had, immediately had friends they were all a part of the community um in that neighborhood so I had neighborhood friends which was very foreign to me because back in Tennessee my nearest neighbor is about quarter mile away so you're traveling you really got to be true friends if you're you know Felicia was very lucky because she was in this modular home that had just got placed like right after we moved in so I was very lucky to have her so going into, into Florida, it was like, okay, cool. You know, you get to go to like, a, you know, my school, my elementary school had goats. Um, they were, they were <laughs> literally the, the school pets and stuff. So I'm like, okay, all right, maybe Florida's not too bad, but you know, it's still, my mom didn't come down for months. So I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm basically as a kid now that I realize that I'm as a kid, just masking. And this was and, how, after everything happened, this has been how many years now? So after my brother died, this was probably about, by the time that we got to Florida, it was probably about two and a half, almost, it was almost three years that my brother had passed. So you move into this new house in Florida mm -hmm. and you're in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you go through middle school. Yeah, no. So elementary school was kind of weird because um, we were actually only in that place for about two years because my parents and my uncle and aunt, they all did uh, property management work together, which then drove them to um, this uh, apartment complex um, that they had gotten a really sweet deal to run this place. And, you know, some things happen and, um kind of all went south and for two years I had a family like a true like okay you know it's just like being on the farm again you know we got 
you know, cousins and everything. And then it just, one day it just stopped. It was, it's actually kind of funny how that all happened because, you know, as a kid, you don't know about the adult shit that's going on. You're just living day to day. Um, one day it was really fucking hot and we didn't have a pool or like a neighborhood pool or anything. None of our neighbors had pools. So, you know, you're running through sprinklers to basically keep cool. And that's important because as me and all the neighborhood kids are sweating to death trying to find water activities or go to somebody's house. Um, my parents had came home that one day and they called for me and Levi and they were like, all right, come on, get in the car. We're going to go somewhere. We're gonna, you know, we got a surprise for you guys. So we get in the car and uh, my mom and dad said, oh, we're going to go to uh, um, one of our friend's house. They've got a huge swimming pool. They got a diving board and all this stuff. And we're going to go hang out at their house. And we're like, hell yeah, you know, that's exciting. All right, cool. You know, it's hot as shit. Um, so we take this, it felt like forever, but now it really was only like 15 minutes down the street. But as a kid, everything is moving so slow. Um, we get to this house and it's this kind of run down like brick house. I mean, it's long, two car garage. Like, I mean, it's it's not terrible, but it just needed a little work. It was definitely, you know, weeds grown up and everything. And we're like, oh, okay. Me and Levi, my little brother, we're looking at each other like, okay, like what's going on here? So we get out of the car and there's nobody home. And we're like, this is weird. Like, where are your friends at? And my mom and dad are like, surprise, this is our new house. Like, this is where we're going to live now. We're moving here. We're going to make a fresh start and, you know, this on the other. And we're like, what the hell? So we go through the fence and there for shit is a pool shaped like a rubber ducky. It's literally shaped like a rubber ducky with a jacuzzi in the beak and a diving board and like an acre and a half of just straight land. And I mean, you go inside, there's a lanai, a pool house. Like, I mean, this is, this is like winning the fucking lottery. And so how, and how old, were, how old were you guys at the time? Um, So I was, I believe I was 11 at the time. Yeah, I was 11 because Levi had just turned six um, and we're five years apart from each other. Um, and I was just about to turn 12. So yeah, I was 11 when we moved over to that place. And then and how long were you in the first place before you guys moved? We we were only there for when we got to Florida, we stayed on Manusi Court. That was our first house for two years. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So eight, nine, 10, and then 11. And then I'm coming up on 12, which is a hard, you know, time for a girl because, you know, the change and everything happens. But, you know, being that I'm still a kid, I'm like, hell yeah, like we get a, a brand new house. Like, I mean, it's definitely not brand new. I mean, we the pool was black, which was hilarious. The fact that my parents said that we were going to go swimming that day because we definitely were not going swimming at all that day. Um and they were like, you know, we're going to fix this place up and we're going to make it home. And we did for a whole year. We gutted that place out. Um, we worked together as a family to, you know, get it livable. And um, we had my my great grandmother, uh, Florence, living with us uh, at the time. And um, throughout my childhood, 
this is not the first time that we've taken in a family member. We usually have between three and eight family members living with us at a time. So I'm not, you know, this is my mom. My mom and dad always have this saying, it's not a hand up. It's a hand or it's not a handout. It's a hand up. And that's how we extended it to all of our family and gratitude and giving is like one of the foundations. I feel like we've, we've always lived on. So we just take in family members and my great grandmother, um, she, she was in her seventies, I believe when we took her on back in Tennessee. So she's coming to us again. Um, cause as we were moving to Florida, she had to go to North Carolina. So there was a lull that we didn't have her. So now we're getting her back now that we have this freaking four bedroom house. And, um, so it's all of us living here and then kind of carry on through that. I didn't really have time to, to like catch up to myself. And me and my mom did not have a great relationship. After my brother died, she, even though being in the church, she still had a lot of skeletons in her closet that she really needed to work through. And, um, a lot of that fell really hard on me. I became, you know, my sister was the older of us now. So she's nine years older than I am. So she's, and she's got kids. Um, And then my little brother's, you know, the last son. So he was glorified in many, many ways. And then, and then there was me, you know, very much a black sheep, very much not family oriented, very much traumatized through my childhood but not knowing that I just learned to deal with things because that's what I did is I just rolled along with the punches. So how did high school and, go? Um, oh man. High school was terrible. High school was awful. Junior high was my glory days. Cause junior high, I was on the varsity uh, volleyball team both years. Uh, J I blew past JV went straight to varsity um, had a really, really good, um, opportunity going into high school, but I wanted for whatever fucking reason so badly to be like my sister, uh, and be a cheerleader, which was totally out of my element because I was very much an athletic type baseball, softball, volleyball, you know? Um, so I tried my hand at cheerleading and that's pretty much kind of like where everything went south. I met a girl who introduced me to smoking and drinking I met another girl who introduced me to marijuana. I'm, I met a group of friends that I thought were my friends that were clearly not my friends. And, um, because I was going through mm -hmm, this, yeah, yeah. High school. I mean, from the get go, as soon as freshman year hit, I was drinking, smoking shit. I would, I would party all night long until about four o'clock in the morning, I'd sneak out of my house, party all night long, come back home smelling like cigarettes and alcohol and weed and whatever else and go to school at six. And that was my life every day until I got to somehow, some way I got to my junior year. And uh, my mom coming out of junior year, she's like, you know, you're not going to make it to your senior year. You're going to have to figure something out. Like your grades are shit. 
you know, your ambition is trash. You're, you're just, you're not going anywhere. So we need to figure something out. And, um, I had a friend go to military school and she made it sound so sweet because, you know, you go for six months, you get out of high school, you get a diploma, um, and then you're done. And this, this is at 16. So I, I was like, all right, I'm sold. You know, I'm not going to make it through my 12th grade year. My mom tells me I'm not going to, I'm not smart enough to get through school anyway. So I might as well just try my hand at this. And boy, was I fucking wrong. <laughs> I thought it was like a get out of high school card, but really military school here is not like the average. These were all kids that were court ordered like on their last strike need to go here or you're going to jail or prison. And, you know, here's little old me. I signed up for this shit, like on purpose. I'm thinking like, okay, I can get out of high school. And um, yeah, no, I, uh, I made it through the first six weeks and I saw a six month pregnant little probably five foot three little girl beating the shit out of one of our cadres with an orienteering flag saying that she was going to murder him. And I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this anymore. And plus I wasn't even going to classes. I was trying to fill my plate with um, color guard, orienteering, whatever I, whatever extracurricular thing that I could do to keep out of the barracks because the barracks was violent. You never knew what, the next person was going to do. And that's not me. You know, I'm not a troubled child. I just suck at school and my attention is shit. So I just need to get out of school. So I made it through six weeks and then I told my mom, I was like, I'm done. I can't get through this anymore. Um, so then this part of my life was just, uh, it's like touchy because, um, Right before I went into military school, I met this girl. Uh, her name is Brittany. And she was one of my very best friends. Um, she was actually dating um, one of my other girlfriends, uh, Linda. And she's very much a butchy lesbian girl. She just had this swagger about her that I was just, I was attracted to as a friend, but not like in that way. Um, but beforehand I was only with girls. So it was like, okay, but you know, um, and when I was going through military school, she would write me and I had her come to a, the family day that I ended up leaving military school. And after that, she ended up telling me like, you know, she's like, you know, I, I really want to be with you and I love you and all this other stuff. And here I am 16 and I'm like confused about myself. I have trust issues out of the wazoo. So it's like, you know, to be loved and to be wanted by someone. And she was, she was amazing at the time until she wasn't. And there was a point in time where I'm about to turn 17 that her roommate in her apartment was going to be moving out. And my mom and dad told me either you get a job 
or you go back to school and you get your diploma. And, but that's the only way that you're going to be staying under our roof is that you, you have to go back to school. So I was actively going to adult education classes while I was working two jobs. And, um, and then Brittany had said that her roommate was going to be moving out. And I was like, perfect. I'm trying to get the fuck away from my mom anyway. So I'm out. And I ended up telling my mom one day, I was like, you know, I, I can't live with you anymore. You know, I'm basically an adult. I'm not going to school. I'm paying my own way. So I'm moving out. And I did. And then a few months later, I told I came out to my parents and I told them that me and Brittany were in a relationship and that, you know, and but they already knew that I was I was that way because I had all these kind of butchy girls always coming through my house. So they they already pretty much knew. Um, and that was the start of this. Me and Brittany got together 2015, 2014. Yeah. I was set to graduate from high school 2013. So this is like, boom, 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 like very quickly. I only made it through six weeks of military school. And then me and Brittany just went off and started a life together. And I didn't know what it was like to be in a adult relationship, like paying bills and, you know, life. I'm, I'm over here thinking like a $300 paycheck is a lot. And I quickly realized that it wasn't, that wasn't even part of my rent. So there would be times, you know, where I would have to like call my mom and be like, Hey, I'm like $150 short on rent or I would have to go sell one of my cell phones to one of the cell phone places and, you know, get as much money as I could to try to make up, you know, rent. Cause Brittany at the time was 23. So she is already in her adult phase or, you know, beginning adult phase in life. So I got to keep up as a, six or 17 year old kid you know so I had to grow up really really fast in that relationship and I mean really fast and she was not the type of person because she had a very loving side but then she had this really not loving side very much controlling side and very much manipulative side and before, well, and before and during and while this whole time you moved out, how was your relationship with your mom and dad, and how was that, and how was their relationship? Well, um, actually, uh, my mom, my mom and I didn't have a good relationship at all. Like, I mean, we, like I said, when my brother died, that was pretty much the end of me and her. Um, my dad was still drinking his way through life. So he was there. And cause at this point you know? now it's been what probably, I think we're about 10 years since, since that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So about 10 years of trying to, you know, figure out myself by myself, you know, I didn't have a mom to, and, you know, and, go to. And, and t- well, 10 years of them still not being able to let go and, mm-hmm. and work on themselves yeah. While still having yeah, absolutely. your brother and you to take mm-hmm. care of. Yeah. Yeah. It's um 
it was it was like a very jaded 10 years like 10 years seems like a long time on paper but when you're going through trying to like I said grow yourself by yourself um I will say though um my mom and I when she had first moved down here we were affiliated with the we were always in the church I mean we never stopped when we left Tennessee when we were in Tennessee when we were going six days a week we continued that on here because she still needed that lean of God you know to get her through her life and so um we got affiliated with this uh celebration church which they were amazing but given the falling out with my uncle Randy my aunt Carrie who went to that church we couldn't go there anymore so we got affiliated with another church uh Ridgewood Baptist and that was probably like the highlight of my life because I met so many people through um I was in this thing called Awana and it's basically like uh an intensive bible study boot camp were for you, kids were you like still 16 17 17 years old at the time um so just to backtrack at that time I was probably like I was probably like 12 11 or 12 um as I'm going through that and I stuck with that until I was about 13 um, through the Awana phase and getting through, um, well, really not getting, I wouldn't say getting getting through. It was really kind of my coming out to God, like who he is and um, who Jesus is and, and really learning about the Bible, studying the Bible, reading the Bible repeatedly. Like, I mean, that was the most committed relationship I had ever been in ever. And I, I held on to that intensely and, um, when did probably it start about to the drift? same. Did it, did, um, it, did it continue through high school or no? No. Um, so that was, that was in my junior high, uh, days. Um, when I was coming into high school, um, because of the age, uh, situation in Tennessee I was younger going into um, older grades so I was the youngest um, of my class but um, so I was about 14 going into high school um, Bridgewood Baptist um, got kind of weird so we ended up moving to uh, this new church uh, called the Abundant Life and the Abundant Life was ran by Pastor Scott Becker, who um, had this uh, amazing way of speaking to people and this amazing um, outreach. He was kind of like almost like a prophet figure, you know, like he would talk to God and then he would have these conversations with us. So it was like... Um, going into that church was amazing. But what was so amazing about that church life is it opened me up to my very first mission trip. Um, I went to uh, Mission Belize, and that's in Belize City, Belize in South America. Um, this is probably the strongest and the closest I'd ever been to God and had ever been that close to 
my walk with God. And um, so I went to uh, Belize and it was the most amazing experience I think I've ever been through. Uh, we built houses for missionaries and uh, local villagers. Um, we washed the feet of like 300 people in Belize city, which is very poor. Um, they were going through a lot of gang problems at the time. So you literally, our mission colors were brown because you couldn't wear red or blue or purple because it's a mixture of the two. Um, and man, I just, I even just thinking about it right now, it just takes me back to moments and that was like so intense but when we got back to the states after that mission trip pastor scott just got weird you know he created this thing called the abundant life nine for everybody who was going into high school and it's basically this commitment that you make you do not date you do not court you focus on your studies and there was like nine core values that I couldn't tell you now because it's been so long. But um, if you followed those core values throughout high school, then you get a paid scholarship to any university for a year ride to any university. And I'm, you know, since I was young, I've, I've always wanted to go to the University of Georgia, probably because I hated the state of Florida that much. <laughs> and I hated the idea of ever being a gator. Um, and I wanted to go there on a volleyball scholarship. And mind you, like I said, this is back in my junior high days. So I'm going into high school with this mentality. I'm just going to be like the super set libero freaking volleyball player. I'm going to be like the sickest freaking, I'm going to have a full ride. And, um, and uh, Pastor Scott just got weird after that. He would, he was talking about at one point um, his, house was being attacked by demons and that um we we would have to go into church and like get on our faces and pray every day like i mean he was open in that church seven days a week at that time so we would go in there and we would just pray over him and pray over his family and this and the other i don't know what was actually going on deeper but i knew his kids and his kids were like i don't know what the fuck's going on like he's just he he would make his kid uh Ethan when Ethan would get in trouble Ethan was my age he would make Ethan wear shoes that were three sizes too small and make him go mow the lawn and they lived on like eight acres of land with a push mow and he's like dude like things are just getting really weird and then the church ended up financially not being able to keep going so um they had to basically closed the doors on the church and that was literally like my they closed right after I started high school so maybe like four or five months into me starting high school and this is like in between the doors closing at the church and then me meeting all of these all of these older kids that were popular and smoke cigarettes and and partied at hotel parties and went to the beaches and skipped school and made it sound all so fun and you know crazy and if you wanted to be accepted into this life 
you know, there were certain things that you had to do. And unfortunately for me, that was, that meant give up all of my academics, give up pretty much every solitude or like, you know, all of my solitude was taken from me really early. And that's basically how my high school went until, like I said, junior year, I couldn't, I just couldn't go anymore. And I'm young. And then having to be shot out and grown up with this girl that I thought I was in love with. Um, it was just like so fast. It doesn't even seem real today that I even went through all that. Cause it was just like, I, I aged. So you were saying, so we go through all of that and we get the church life of it. And then we get, you know, we heard about, going through high school and going through the military school. And now you're involved with this girl named Brittany and you're having to be an adult at 17. She's 23. And you said that it was good until it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So take us through that. Yeah. So um, I met Brittany at a really weird time in her life because she had just gotten out of a relationship, a four year long relationship with this older girl, uh, Anna. Well, actually, before, and... we, before you continue, so we'll go, I mean, get into that and go from that and then to you. What year did you meet Tom? Well, yeah. So I met Thomas in 2017. Okay, because so we're right After now we're in timeline. So we're like 2014. So we got three, uh, mm-hmm. like a three year gap until you meet Tom. So I want to hear that. Which is mm-hmm. where you were dating Brittany, okay. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I met Thomas in 2017. Um, when I met Brittany, um, I was, when I met her, I was 15. So I had known her for quite some time, uh, before we got in a relationship together. And then when we got in a relationship, um, she was like, you know, like I said, going through, um, this falling out with this girl and I'm competing with an older girl because she's, she's not stopping, you know, their communication. I'm in this like phase of, I need to be loved. So I need to do anything that it takes to be loved. And it made me crazy and it made her crazy. And for the whole relationship, I mean, it, it was, we'd have these high points where we were just like, you know, starting life together. I'm growing up with her, you know, she's, you know, showing me the way of everything basically. And then she just got really dark in her life because she's getting older and finding that, you know, what she, what she wants is not what she thought she wanted. And she wants this girl, Anna, but she also wants me. So it's just like this really fucked up triangle. And then Anna, Anna on her own was very violent. I mean, very violent. There, there was one story Brittany had told me where they were driving in a car together and this girl had, or this lady, this old lady had cut Anna off and Anna got out at a fucking red light and pulled out a baseball bat and beat the shit out of her car. This old lady, she's just a, violent person so there was a lot of threats made toward me and a lot of like manipulation and um mental trauma mental abuse 
emotional abuse because I never thought I was good enough for her. I never thought I was going to amount to the things that she wanted me to be. And um, now we're, this is 2016. We're like in this weird falling out. Like we're, I'm falling out of, I'm way falling out of love with her. And I told her, I was like, you know, I don't think that I need to be with you. And we went through this really rough patch for a couple of months. And then we had a good month and we ended up being at the beach one day. And I just felt like things were just, she was being weird. She was just being like overly nice and she was fidgeting a lot and, you know, just, she couldn't sit still. And then she said to me that she wanted to make a video of us at the beach. And she's like, you know, I just want to make a video of us talking, you know? So we set up the camera and we're sitting there having a conversation. And I just had this feeling like she was going to propose to me. I just kept having this feeling because the way that she kept fidgeting, you know, and she had asked me at one point in the video, um, you know, she asked me if I loved her and how much I loved her. And, you know, and I just broke out and I said, I was like, I just feel like you're going to propose to me right now. And she just nervous laughed and she's like, no, no. And then she pulled out the ring and she was like, actually I am. And she did right then and there. She was like, you know, I just want to spend the rest of my life with you. I don't want anything else. And, you know, I just, I just want to be with you. And I was like, I was stunned for like a whole five minutes. I just kept telling her to shut up because I, I knew that that's not what I wanted. And I knew that that's not the path that God had laid out for me because there was just so many factors pulling me away. And even though after um, Abundant Life had closed doors, and that's pretty much when I closed the doors on my relationship with God and got into all of the craziness and then fell into love with her, um, I still knew that God was... He was very, very present in my life and very much there telling me like, no, I'm going to put everything in your way to stop this. And unfortunately, but also fortunately, in between all of that, um, there was, I, I told her, yes, you know, that I would, I would marry her. And, um, not too long after that, that was in June, um, that following September, my great grandmother who had been living with us for all these years, um, she's now in her nineties. Um, she was living at a home right down the street from where we lived. And, uh, Brittany had gotten to this possessive phase of our relationship where there, there was quite a long time. I think well over a year, I didn't speak to my family because she wouldn't let me go over there because she knew how they felt about her. So I would have to be home at a certain time. And if I wasn't home, I would get my ass beat. If I would talk to my mom or tell my family anything that was going on with me, or she would read my text messages between me and my sisters or whatever, um, I would, I would be scolded or screamed at or yelled at. So there was a time that I was just like, you know what? It's not even worth it. I'm not even going to talk to them. And unfortunately, that meant that I couldn't go see my grandma because chances of me running into a family member were pretty high and Brittany knew that. So I would have to be home at 2.30 every single day. And um, that basically meant that I missed years without speaking to her. And um, 
uh, in between June, I had lost my job. So I got a job at Buffalo Wild Wings, which was right down the street also for my grandma. So I would stop by like quickly um, to go say hi to her. And one of the days that I had left her and I had made it home right before Brittany got home, quickly changed my clothes. As soon as she walked through the door, I got a phone call from my mom that said, um, she said, um, I have some really bad news. Um, the home that my grandma was living in, the nurses had OD'd her um, on a pain patch, which basically sent her into a multi-organ failure and sent her to the hospital, but they were luckily able to catch it in time. But um, they told her, you know, if if you don't go back to the home, then we're going to have to give your bed away. And my mom wasn't prepared to take on my grandmother at at the house again. Like, you know, we, we didn't have enough, she didn't have enough room. So um, she ended up having to go back to the home that very next two days, I believe. Um, she was in the hospital for about two days and then they sent her back to the home and that same nurse OD'd her on another two pain patches, which then, because she's so frail and sick, she had just been, you know, gone. She's, she went through a lot in her life. She double amputee because of gangrene from diabetes. So she's not, she wasn't prepared, um, her body just wasn't strong enough. So it basically started her liver. Then everything else just fell off of that and everything started failing. They were like, you know, you're, you're going to have to come up here and say goodbye because she's dying. And, um, it was really hard that moment. Cause I, I, looked at Brittany and I told her I was like you know my grandma's dying I have to go to the hospital and Brittany gave me so much shit she was like oh my god like we're gonna have to go be around your family and this I'm like Brittany my grandmother is dying I have to be with her she's she's literally got hours to live like but my grandma Toth was a very strong woman and she wasn't gonna go out without a fight so when I got there they said um surprisingly she's very stable and I think the nurses were like I think we can get her on hospice and at least send her home for the last remaining days and that's what my grandma always wanted was to go home she, she didn't want to die at the home she wanted to die at home she she didn't want to be at the hospital no more so that that very night um I told Brittany I was like I'm going to stay up at the hospital because we don't know how long she's going to have until she dies so um, I took my niece as collateral back to the house. So this way I had to go back to the hospital and Brittany had to work that next morning. So I'm like, okay, this is perfect. You know, I'll have to leave. There's no way that I can go home and Brittany talk me out of not going back. So we go back to our apartment and I'm packing up my stuff and we're upstairs and my niece is downstairs and Brittany's like, you're going to you're going to go up there and you're going to be around your family and you're never going to fucking come home and da, 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 da. like she's freaking out on me at this point like she's panicking and um we lived in a townhouse apartment so I'm walking down the stairs and she took her iPhone and she freaking chucked it at the side of my head and my niece literally watched her throw this phone at me and come flying down the stairs at me 
And I'm like, you know, stop, stop. Like, you know, Kristen's watching. Kristen's here. I need to take her back to her mom. And I told Brittany, as soon as I got my niece in the car, I was like, I'm leaving you. I've, I've got everything that I need in this bag and I'm not coming back. And I got in the car and I went and like I said, my grandmother was a very tough woman. Um, she ended up living 15 days with no food, no liquids. Cause once you're on hospice, it's basically, they make you comfortable until you die. And, um, that my grandmother was a godsend in my life because she was my way out of that relationship. She was the only way that I could get away from her. And, um, she lived for a very long time, but there in the 15 days, there would be times where Brittany would show up at my parents' house, like fuming, you know, she would break into my car cause she had my extra car key and she would leave me all these weird little notes. And I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to have to go over there and confront her and tell her that this is over. And, um, I did. And we got into a really big fight. And she tried to bust out the window of my car. And I, I told myself, I'm like, I'm never going back. I'm never going back. And then I got death threats and from her and from Anna. She had Anna on her side saying that she was going to cut my throat open and watch me bleed out and all this stuff. So my life is now in danger. So I cannot be here anymore. And um, at that point in time, so this is 2017, or this 2016, January 1st, 2017, I said, I'm going to go back home to Tennessee. It's it's time for me to go home. And um, luckily, I still had family out there that agreed to take me in. So um, I got in the car, packed up all my things and my cat and said, fuck you, Florida, I'm out. And I drove myself all the way to Tennessee with all my belongings, everything that I had that Brittany didn't burn and started out a whole new life, bartending, meeting new people. I'm 21 at the time now. So, you know, I'm newly single. I have no, no idea, you know, what this town is now. I haven't been there in 15 years, you know, my family who lived up there, um, you know, when I told you that you're a kid and you don't know things, well, I didn't know that all of my family was basically on heroin when I was growing up. And that was another big reason that we had to leave. Yeah. So when I got to Tennessee, my godsend of a cousin, Carla, who's basically a third mom to me, she'd never done a drug in her life drinks a little bit but she doesn't she um she took me in and she had also in between the time had been taking care of her her sister and brother who were so strung out on meth and anything that they pills whatever they could get their hands on um I didn't know any of this. So when I moved in with her, there was one point in time where I had to lock my stuff up because I was deathly afraid of all of my stuff being sold, you know, 
for drugs or whatever, whoever was going to break in the house while all of, us, uh, all of us were gone. I worked in the city and where they lived was out in the sticks, 45 minutes out from the city. So I lived with them for about four or five months until it just became a problem. You know, people were going through my, like my cousins were going through my things while I wasn't there. And I was like, all right, I got to get out of here any way that I fucking can. And I met this dude, Caleb, who's in the army and this girl, Vicky, who was also in the army and Caleb and his wife were going through divorce so that he had an open spot in his apartment. And I was like, yeah, let me get that. I'll pay whatever you fucking want. I'll do whatever it takes to get the fuck out of this place. So I did. And um, I lived with Caleb for, and he was a really, really great guy, super respectful, never, you know, weird or anything made me feel comfortable. Um, And then I started my bartending thing over at Buffalo Wild Wings when I first moved there. So I had already been at Buffalo Wild Wings for about four or five months. I had a really good rapport, really good, um, regular basis so i'm making good money there but i want more so i got another job at this really great bar um down the street um so i'm working mornings at buffalo's nights and bars stay open until four o'clock in the morning in tennessee so i'm working from 10 a.m to three and then six to ten or six to four until I was like, you know, fuck Buffaloes. I'm not doing the shit anymore because this bar has got way better money and I'm making thousands on the weekends. So I got over there and, you know, um, going through the motions of trying to find myself. I found myself in many different friend, friend groups. Um, Actually, it was kind of funny, you know, being a single now almost 22 year old I am on tinder and meeting people and um I ended up coming across this uh profile Prince Charming (laughs) (laughs) here comes Prince Charming walking his way into the door huh here night in shining tinder (laughs) yes the night in shining tinder and he was just that. I was. I took one look at those pictures, and I was like, "Where is this dude at?" I'm trying to heat him up. So, I, but I noticed that his his location was like a thousand miles away, and I was like, "What the fuck?" So I just messaged him. I was like, "Are you in like Fort Campbell, or like, do you are you are you fake? Is this a fake profile? What is what's going on here?" And he wrote me back and he was like, actually, no, I'm out in uh, Texas. I'm I'm stationed at Fort Campbell, but I'm in Texas for training. And I knew nothing about, about the army. So I'm like, okay, you know, when are you going to be back? And um, he's like, yeah, not for another like month and a half. So we started talking and it was literally like love at first text. Like everything that I was like we always said like i'm the female version of him he's the male version of me it's just a weird yin and yang because we're also very much we're nothing alike and we're very much alike at the same time so it was just like oh my gosh this is so refreshing so for that month and a half we talked every freaking day we facetimed every night sometimes we would go to sleep with each other on facetime and 
my bunk mates hated me. Yeah, because I, I, I remember that. I had a dude when I was in uh, the schoolhouse. He was like the same with his chick. He was on FaceTime going. I'm like, I'm like, just say goodnight and turn the phone off and go to sleep. <laughs> we worked 12 hour shifts. So it was like six to six. So like we'd go, we'd go do our job and then go to the gym, eat and then chill at the barracks and, and then wake up in the morning, and do it all over again. Like she'll answer the phone so, yeah. call in the morning, say goodnight. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just getting home from the fucking bar at this time. So I'm spending fairly good, you know, sleepy time trying to have conversations with him about what happened in the bar that night. So he and I just, you know, we're super excited to get to meet each other for the first time. Um, and it really was that he actually came home and or you know came back to tennessee and he didn't tell me for the first like you know day that he was there because he's transitioning back in and obviously he knew i was gonna be like let's meet up you know but he had to get settled so um first day went by and then he told me he was like you know i'm back and uh when do you have some free time and he's like i get off work at this time and i'll come meet you at your house and we can go do something so he came and there he was just at the front door, like really like in real life. Like it was just horse and saddle in the carriage, like Prince Charming. <laughs> no, man, he was in freaking black beauty, badass freaking 2015 Dodge Ram, Hemi <laughs> running up on me. I was like, damn, daddy, okay. Shit, okay, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> we hugged at the we hugged at my doorway for long enough for my my dog to get out and run far away <laughs> and um after we got done hugging i was like hey i gotta go get my dog real quick so we literally went on this like wild goose chase for my fucking puppy and uh came back and we just sat there and talked forever and like i mean we talked until like literally like the next morning like he stayed at my house that night and we just stayed up like literally all night just talking there wasn't any like sexual things going on the first day that we we met each other um not even like the first like couple of days not even the first week as a matter of fact we it was just all about just trying to get to like really know who each other was you know having that emotional and connection yeah, but he came in and he never left. <laughs> Literally, he basically moved in because after I, you know, was living with Caleb, I was like, you know, I can't live with you any longer. I need to get my own place. So me and my another bartender I worked with, we ended up getting a house together. And yeah, he he came home that one day and he literally just moved right on in. Him and I adopted this lonely soldier named Roby. Roby. So now I have him and Roby and Christine, which is the girl, um, living in this house with a with me. And we were literally inseparable. So inseparable that three weeks later he well, wait, what like there's a funny story from this too because like she still worked at the bar, so like I'd get off work and she'd be at work. I'd come by when she'd close. And uh I guess there was that one time where you had that regular 
that threw that. Oh my gosh, Devin, that dickhead. So there's this guy, Devin, who used to come into the bar and he's like, Well, hang on real quick. So Seth Sterick. Yeah, Seth. Was connected to this bar. Yeah, okay. Seth. And mm-hmm. he was my NCO at my unit. And I didn't know and anything. But he was a regular there. He got to drink for free because he did all like the maintenance work on the building there. He basically built this bar. Yeah. Like everything that had to do with this bar carpenter wise he did yeah so he was talking about it and then i realized that and then um yeah go go ahead so um seth was definitely a if you're listening seth just know that i love you when i say this but seth was a roid head he just would come in after he was done with the military do his little he had a really good relationship with the owner of the bar or the co-owner um and he would rage he would get he would get so fucked up that one night um he he was like in this you know whatever and um him and one of the other bartenders had gotten into it and i was like fucking seth you can't come back in here like you need to go seek help or whatever you know koa the co-owner of the bar she's like you know we need we need to remedy this but he also does a lot of work so we can't just like kick him out you know like he's a part of this bar too so um i did karaoke i was one of i would sing and bartend at the same time also if you're a bartender listening to this hella tip so if you're thinking about you know bumping up your tip average singing singing fucking bartend and see how much your tips raise anyway um i'm doing karaoke one night and thomas comes to see me sing and um seth is there obviously and thomas walks in and he's like oh my god i think my nco is here and i was like i don't know what that is but that doesn't sound good i don't know what that is he's like i don't know what what that is (laughs) is that like what is that um he's like basically it's my boss and i think he's like over there like drinking and hanging out and i look over and i was like seth that's your boss (laughs) he manages people (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) i thought he just wore that uniform what the fuck um but no all jokes aside seth i love you um he uh he goes over to seth and he's like you know me and seth have been known each other for you know a couple months now so uh thomas goes over to him and he's you know telling him you know i've been talking to whitney and seth is like oh my god no way da, da, da. and um didn't sound like that that's not how that combo went down no i guarantee the not. conversation didn't go like no. that <laughs> <laughs> he said you hitting that bro no i was like no nah, man I, I really like her She's... It didn't go like that either. <laughs> he probably like walked up, parade arrest, was like, good evening, NCO Sergeant Steric. <laughs> mm-hmm. Basically. But he um he was he was my Thomas was my newest bar regular. He was there literally after he got off work, he would hang out with me until I would close um on the weekends, which was very late. And one night he was uh he was supposed to meet me up at the bar and uh oh actually i'm sorry before i get into that so in this time that thomas and i are basically falling in love you can cliche that as many 
ways as you want, but that's basically what was happening. Um, one day Thomas came back to my house and this is like maybe after like three weeks and he's, I already asked him, I was like, so are you going to be in like Tennessee for a while or like, you know, how does, how does your moving situation look? And he's like, no, 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 I'm good. Um, I haven't gotten any emails or anything. So I, I should be like restationed here. So, you know, it's going to be great. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, that very next day, Thomas came back to my house and was like, so I forgot to open up my emails when I got back. And it turns out that I have to like move to Colorado in like three <laughs> weeks. Wow. I was like, oh, okay. Well, Hmm. Uh, well, you know, that's not bad. Like, you know, we can long distance this. I got a year lease on this house. You know, I'm already, you know, a couple months through it. So, you know, we'll just go through the motions and then I'll, you know, if you're down, I'll, I'll move out there to freaking Colorado. And he was like, um, no, no, that's, that's not how any of that's going to go. He's like, basically, you've got two options. And I've already talked to my grandmother about this. <laughs> I have not even met his grandmother. Wait a minute. So, so wait, wait, this is what he said? <laughs> this is yes. what Tom said? He said, he said, literally, you have two options. And okay. I've already talked to my grandmother. All right, what are the two options? A, this is verbatim what I said. This is verbatim. A, I beat you over the head and I drag you. Like or, a caveman. Like a caveman. Or B, you marry me and you move with me. And I was like, wow. Wow. And this is three. This, so this is three weeks. This is three I've weeks. Done it for like a month. I've three weeks. Month. Yep. Yep. And I was like, um, well, I mean, are you sure? Like, you you want to marry me? Like, and he's like, yeah, like I, I'm not leaving without you. So those are your two options. So you just kind of pick which one you want to do. <laughs> and so I, I got to talk to his grandmother for the first time that day. Okay. She, inter she interrogated interrog him or her. Well, first of all, I thought this was literally princess Diana and you've, I'm sure you've talked to Pat at some point in your childhood. She's a very elegant woman and she's very well spoken and honestly i had a vision in my mind of what she may look like which was not at all what she looked like i was just <laughs> figuring this princess diana this very you know elegant woman um which she very much was very elegant um but she she did she gave me the third degree like do you love him and i'm like yeah absolutely without a doubt that just that's a version of me that i've never had before and she's like, do you think that you would marry him? And I'm like, without a doubt in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. And she's like, well, if you know that you're going to get married to him, why not do it in a couple of weeks? Right before he moves. If you're going to get married, you might as well just do it now. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, I got to talk to my mom. Like. <laughs> I don't, I don't know like what she's going to think about that. And um, it was just, I called my mom that day and um, it just so happened that my mom and my dad were up in Michigan. Um, unfortunately, my, another uncle of mine 
had passed away and they were going to be traveling from Michigan down through Tennessee to get home to Florida. So they were going to stop in and spend the night with me and come and visit, come see my new house and this new boyfriend that I had and, you know, whatever, and get to meet him. So, you know, this is the day after um, I talked to his grandmother for the first time. And so my parents are coming in and my mom immediately falls in love with Thomas. Like, and this is going to be like the, like, she's not like this, but she's very highly impressed of Thomas and not by his looks, not by his charm, not by his grace. But the second that she got in the back <laughs> of the truck to drive to the restaurant we were going to, she is like, is this his truck? So yeah, it's pretty nice one. She was like, you better not fuck this up. <laughs> I was like, mom, shut up. God, chill out. You're embarrassing me. She's like, yeah, Thomas, you got a nice truck. I'm like, you fucking hick. Chill out. Act like you got some class, girl. I mean, it is nice though, huh? Um, And then my dad's in the front seat. They're, they instantly fall in love with each other because one, the topic of conversation is fucking Trump. And they're both talking about their undying love and devotion to Trump. Easy. Well, Easy you know, there. you get what I mean. So um, they're already in their whole little usual guy talk little show. thing. Yeah. So we go to we go to lunch and, you know, they stayed the night. They got to hang out with Thomas. They absolutely loved him. And meanwhile, I didn't say anything about the conversation that happened. I let them go home first and then I waited a week I was like you know let's think on this see if this is like for real for real like me and Thomas both it wasn't just me we had agreed you know we'll wait and we'll just you know so we waited a week and something that we talked about every day something that you know I feel like both of us were kind of you know it was just something in the universe that was just saying like you know we got to do this (laughs) I wasn't trying to let him leave and he wasn't trying to let me leave or stay. So um, I called my mom up and I was like, hey, so I've got something to tell you. I don't want you to freak out. Um, But I really love Thomas and he's leaving um, to get restationed in Colorado and and he, he wants to marry me. What do you think? And my mom's like, is that something that you like really want to do? And I'm like, yes, like, I don't know what it is about this guy but I'm just like I'm head over heels I don't I don't know what the fuck is going on and she was like you know um he's gonna have to I'm all for it she was like I'm all for it I love Thomas I think he's great I would love to get to know him better um but you know that he's gonna have to talk to your dad I was like oh yeah shit I have to do that so I told Thomas I was like hey um so I talked to my mom. She's she's all for it. Basically, right after I got off the phone with my mom, Pat, Thomas's grandmother, called my mom and they had a whole conversation about it. So they're they're good to go. Um, mind you, Thomas's mom still doesn't even know yet. We're gonna get through the phase of talking to my dad first before we present her, whom I've still not had a conversation with at all. Oh. So yeah and you know kathy so (laughs) we we need to get through so we're we're driving off post and it's this long ass road to get off post 
And Thomas is like, all right, well, I'm just going to call your dad now. So I was like, okay. So um, he calls my dad and he's like, uh, hey, Chris, uh, how you doing? My dad's like, oh, hey, Thomas, I'm good. You know, what's up, man? What's going on? What you need? And Thomas is like, well, listen, I love your daughter. And I want to marry her. And I want to move her to Colorado with me. And, you know, what What do you think about that? And my dad's like, yeah, man, I don't think so. No, it's going to be a no for me. And Thomas, I wish I would have got this in recording, but Thomas's Straight face up. just look. He pulls over and he just is like sitting there like, oh, my God, what the fuck? This, I wasn't expecting that. Wow. And there's like a lull. You know, so my dad's like, Thomas, Thomas, man, are you still there? Thomas like, uh, yeah, you know, um, I don't know what to say. And my dad's like, no, man, I'm just kidding with you, dude. Of course you can marry my daughter. Hell yeah, that'd be cool. Fuck, man, my new son-in-law. And, you know, when do we got to be there? When, when When's the wedding? When, when are we tying the knot? And Thomas is like ready to shit his pants. <laughs> looking like he already did shit his pants he's like what the fuck and i told him i was like my family is a bunch of jokesters dude like you just gotta keep on your toes like before you get into this relationship just understand that's what you're marrying and um well tom's a jokester himself so it's like you know finally he was like what someone just did this to me what (laughs) so so basically we had remember the week had gone by that we sat on it we literally have like two and a half weeks to get married buy a house because we we agreed that we weren't going to live on post so what about the conversation did we didn't get into the conversation about tom's mom when did that conversation happen okay so thomas's mom we're actually he i know and he he probably even still to this day I know he was nervous because we had a conversation about it. I was like, you know, we need to call your mom and like, tell your mom, like, you know, she's going to have to get plane tickets and stuff to come from California. And like your grandparents are going to have to be there. And so we pulled over in this uh, Piggly Wiggly parking lot. I will never forget it. We're sitting in the Piggly Wiggly parking lot and he calls his mom. He's like, Hey mom. So I met this girl. Her name is Whitney. she's you know he's he's given her the spiel and he's like you know i think i want to marry her as a matter of fact i am going to marry her and (laughs) kathy just burst into tears she's like oh my god like i don't even know this girl are you sure that's what you want to do like are you really absolutely sure and thomas is like yeah mom like this is what i want to do i just i want to be with her like you know i'm moving to colorado and i just you know i want to take her with me and she's got a lease on her house and you know she can't break it and you know we're, we're gonna get married eventually why not just do it now and kathy's like all right tom if that's what you want to do. And she just sounds so heartbroken because she just didn't know, you know? And so she's like, all right. Well, and there's, there's more to play to there too. Cause like her lease could only be broken by military orders. Yes. Mm, so okay. there, there was a time 
crunch there yes for it all to work out right but but also... but yeah you were gone in the military you're across the states mm-hmm. and you know mom's son's gone and doing his thing and the next thing you know she gets a phone call just out of purely random <laughs> like i mean on a random tuesday afternoon like what the fuck and and another thing too that came to play in the mix of this is that my roommate christine she had told me right after we got this house she was like um yeah i'm moving out and i'm moving back to ohio and i'm basically gonna leave you with this house and the rent was like eleven hundred dollars and the utilities were like another five eight hundred dollars i was like dude christine like you can't leave me like this like i don't even have enough time to fucking find a roommate like you know and i've got thomas and roby living with me but they're on a single guy's military salary so there's no helping me out there you know so i gotta find a roommate and she ended up leaving me like shortly after um we got married but she was just so salty and she's like you know um I'm going to have to go because my dad says I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to cut the water because the water and the electricity were in her name. So she's like, you know, and I'm like, dude, you're fucking me over. You were really fucking me over right now. Um, And then that's, you know, in the midst of Thomas and I's like, you know, marriage whole like week week long thinking if this is what we wanted to do then all this stuff is like happening boom 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 like christine's gonna leave me i'm not gonna have anybody to like help me pay for this fucking house like he's leaving to colorado like and this we're like this is i I don't know what else to do you know and if we're gonna get married we're might as well just do it now like your grandmother said you know and that's when you know we told my parents and then we told his mom and then um right after we told his mom we basically had like two and a half weeks to like i said buy a house get married or get married buy a house and fucking move and so maybe like a week and a half or so after that is when we went to um the in uh the state of tennessee you have to be um you have to go through this thing for like a month before you can get a marriage license. But in the state of Kentucky, which we were on the line of Kentucky and Tennessee, Kentucky, you can just get a marriage license. You can go walk in same day, get the marriage license, literally boom, boom, like that. You don't have to wait a period of time to get the actual marriage license. So we went to um, Kentucky, got our marriage license. Everybody flew in. My parents drove back up a week and a half later. Um, his grandparents and mom flew in from California. And there it was. We were in the middle of Christian County, Kentucky. In a little courtroom. In a little courtroom with one pew. What year, that's how what year was this? Was. 2017. It wasn't a courtroom. It was um this little, it was this little church house across the across the way from the courthouse it's like this little building that literally had one pew in it and um yeah we got married august 15th 2017 by a guy in a university of kentucky polo who was as country as damn darius rucker like (laughs) i mean as southern as freaking willie himself 
and it was it was so perfect like I wore a white dress he got really dressed up looked sharp as a freaking tack I did not wear my uniform he did not let's just go ahead and make that clear he wore a bow tie (laughs) and yeah we we got married and then fucking stupid Christine man right after we got married basically she we went to we went to Nashville for our reception to this really swanky joint. Really, we none of us could afford to actually eat there, so we all shared a fucking plate. It was it was terrible. But um, in the middle of that, Christine and I had been going back and forth because she was gonna fuck me over royally um, by leaving. And um, that night. <sighs> We were walking back to our car from the reception and um, Christine was like, hey, she had five fucking dogs. Five. She comes up to me on the night of my wedding and says, hey, can you and Thomas watch my dog so I can go hang out at my boyfriend's house tonight? And my dad just freaking lost it on her. Made her cry so bad. She like sat in the freaking parking lot of this little parking area and cried her eyes out for like a good 30 minutes and then went home grabbed up all of her dogs took them to her boyfriend's house along with most of her stuff thomas and i consummated her our marriage in her bed by the way (laughs) (laughs) um as as i was i was i was thinking about leaving that part out no that's (laughs) a vital that's a vital point point because um the second part of that is is that the next morning we had a division run oh at six. Jeez. And so I've somehow missed my alarm and I wake up to like the last of like the 10th phone call. And the, every, the formation was at six. And he called me at like 5.59. Oh. And so I wake up, I look and I was like, oh, shit. So I completely missed it. Yeah. I got FTR'd. it was really bad and that's when i found out how the military worked Uh uh-huh with a quickness absolutely so i showed up to work and he's like now you're off till one come back in at one my platoon sergeant and i was like oh no he's like yeah come back with come back with gatorades and your pts oh all right roger this is when i learned my first military term Thomas got his ass smoked. Smoked. And when I I say smoked, smoked, Thomas is like, you might want to just go ahead and take my truck and like go do something for the next couple of hours because (laughs) I'm I'm about to get fucked up. And I was like, no, it's okay. I'll just sit here and wait. And I was like, it's not going to be like that bad. They can't be that bad. No, he came back three and a half hours later, sweating from tip to top, Mm -hmm. all the way down. Just like looking like he just got freaking ran through. Just what the hell? I'm like, are you okay? I had I literally had sweat dripping off my PTs. Like Bro, it was like like you jump into a pool ass. and water comes off your shirt. Yeah, it was bad. It was so she really she brings a, like six more Gatorades, and then she hops out and she goes to give me a hug and she's like, "What the 
fuck. Dude, it was nasty. And I was like, I told you. And she smacked me on her on the ass and she like looked at her hand and it was like wet. It's... And I was like, he says another three hours and I'll be done. Yeah, and we had that same that same afternoon into the next day, we had only like a couple of more days, like four or five more days wow. to get through deers get my card my cat card and everything get my orders go through cif yep i mean and it was so fucking fast like boom 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 and then all in the midst of buying a house in the blind right we didn't even we didn't even buy the right house (laughs) we thought we were buying a totally different house turns out we bought a totally different house but um and then also move back up and move and in the midst of that four or five fucking days that bitch Christine found out that we, you know, did what we did and ruined her room. And um, she cut the water and the lights off on us in our last like three or four days Dang. in the house. And yep. And then after that, we were on the road to Colorado. So before we get into Colorado, I know that is a whole two hours in itself because I know the backstory, I know a gist of it. All right, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, Please join in for uh, the timeline going into Colorado here with the move to Colorado and then uh, Whitney finishing up her story and and giving us the the gist of that. I know we went kind of long, so I think the next uh, episode is going to be another probably two hours going into that with her uh, motherhood and, uh, you know, having the... the, Where they're at now. Where they're at now and uh, with Jackson and, and listen to the rest of that. So I think that'll be good and excited for that. And thanks for listening, guys. Yep. Thank you, guys. See you next week.